Hello and welcome to Asia Gaming Briefs podcast series. Today I'm talking to Martin Williams. He is the Asia editor and journalist with Vixio Gambling Compliance. He's a longtime Taiwan resident and China observer. There's been a lot of uh, saber rattling, a lot of vitriol over the past four years with uh, relations between China and the US possibly at an all time low. Is the incoming presidency of Joe Biden going to change uh, the tone? Well, you know, that's a that's a, a great question to start, Sharon. And, and to, to sort of preface my response, I just first of all like to say that it, it wasn't that long ago that Donald Trump was actually really courting the Chinese government um, uh, to, to sort of bring about some deals on trade, uh, and, and at that time, there were some real mixed signals coming out from his administration. Uh, back in the days when one of his advisors, Peter Navarro, was very always very hawkish towards China, but Donald Trump himself was really looking for some angles and looking for some opportunities. Um, and maybe we can go into that detail a little bit later, but that, that did eventually change, of course. And this is even well before the pandemic erupted. Uh, but as for Joe Biden, uh, to, to understand where Biden is now, you sort of do have to look a bit at where Trump was. Um, I think Joe Biden is, is left with a dilemma in, in his handling of China policy. It's, it's a challenging dilemma. It's going to shape an enormous number of, an enormous number of industries uh, in the years to come. But, but for mine, I think he's going to have to, in part, he's going to have to walk back the theatrical aggression that Donald Trump eventually chose to use uh, regard, in regards to China, uh, you know, holding it to account for, for the original outbreak of the pandemic, for example, but also in language that was very appealing to racist elements in his base. Um, that's something that Joe Biden won't be able to tolerate. But at the same time, uh, he has to recognize, Biden has to recognize that the China hawks who worked under Donald Trump were faced with problems that the Obama administration let fester for years and uh, problems such as cyber security and cyber hacking, espionage, uh, a number of other problems, including increasing aggression in the South China Sea, uh, increasing aggression towards Japan. Uh, lots of problems that, that really, I think a lot of observers are looking back now and we're really wishing Obama had been a little bit stronger on that. Uh, and when you also factor in um, uh, Biden's need to, to deal with this territorial aggression that Xi Jinping's government has displayed most recently. In fact, only in recent weeks against India, Taiwan, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, most of the South China Sea states, combined with ethno-nationalist anger that's growing in China and the consistent but accelerating suppression of Chinese dissidents, Chinese liberals, Chinese feminists, Chinese Christians, and many others, and Biden is going to have to somehow reconcile all of this with the US's capacity to confront challenges both in Asia and in the Middle East. And that's a problem that's been discussed a lot for many years, but I think it's going to be particularly pronounced now because Xi Jinping has been, no, President Xi Jinping has been pushing the envelope on so many levels, both domestically, internationally, not least economically. I think we can expect from Joe Biden a more diplomatic, and professional approach to relations with China. But I also expect that he's going to retain uh, quite a lot of the modifications of that relationship that the Trump era brought us, not least in part because 
the legislation that was passed in Congress that attacked China was almost, uh, almost unanimous. You know, obviously they are already pretty tough sanctions in place against the, um, the Chinese government. What more could they actually do, do you think? Well, we'll know in the next two weeks because if the latest reports have any strength to them, we're going to see some efforts by the China Hawks in Trump's administration to ram through a few more perhaps or, you know, uh, executive orders or, or, or perhaps seed some legislation that would put more pressure on elements in the Chinese government and in, and in the Chinese uh, uh, commercial world uh, that would punish them for any association with uh, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, uh, or with other forces that um, uh, fuel suppression of dissent uh, or of, for example, Hong Kong Democrats or anything associated with the, the oppression of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. I'm mindful that we're on Zoom doing this recording and, and for that reason, we may get censored at any point. So I have to sort of issue that caveat. But as long as we're recording, uh, you know, Biden is going to have to take all of these challenges on. He's going to have to present himself as, a, as more of a statesman than Trump, while at the same time juggling the balancing act of retaining uh, long overdue pressure from the US, at least that, that is felt by many in the US towards China's excesses uh, on many levels and on many, in many areas. And that's not even beginning to talk about the Belt and Road Initiative, um, which has been for all intents and purposes, uh, a reasonable success story in terms of influence, if not economics for the Chinese government. And I think what we'll see perhaps is a more, uh, a better coded attack on the BRI, but in much more diplomatic language rather than the more sort of incendiary language that, that Trump, as well as a lot of his acolytes have used. Um, in short, I think, I think normal programming will resume, but I think the channel has changed for China. I think there's, there has been a shift and we're not going back anymore. We're not going backwards. Beijing will in the longer term and partly because of its own increasingly, let's use the word dire behavior, it will encounter the most resistant Democratic Party administration since the Cultural Revolution finished back in the 70s. Do you think that given Biden is a more multilateralist, given he has um, got a much more statesmanlike approach, he might actually be more effective in bringing on a more multilateral international coalition uh, of allies to oppose China? It's, it's funny you should raise that because just today, uh, there was a newspaper brought in Australia quoting a think tank uh, director who, um, who who seemed to think that that China has become so powerful that no there is no power on earth that can actually uh, coalesce such a, a force against the Chinese, and I think that he does have that capacity. I, I don't know about you, Sharon, but I, I get the feeling that there are an enormous number of people around the world who are gasping with delight and relief at the election of the Biden administration because they feel and not just because of the domestic issues in the US, but because they feel finally they're actually going to be able to get some friends on side for their own interests multilateral. And China, for this reason, I think ought to be very nervous because there's one thing that China does not like, it's countries in the region uh, lining up together against it. It has always supported one-on-one uh, -on -one relations with its neighbors in terms of, in terms of uh, negotiating deals and so on. But when it comes to ASEAN or any of those kinds of groups, it gets very, very nervous the moment that other governments start to, to coalesce in order to, to form a united front against China. And I think if Biden can produce that kind of pressure, 
we could see some interesting pushback on the Chinese government and perhaps, perhaps more moderate behavior on that side. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, we, we need to address the elephant in the room here um, when it comes to the potential renewal or the retendering process for the casino concessions in Macau. Um, so far, the general consensus has been that they're probably quite safe, but if the situation is to deteriorate further, what do you think might be an outcome? Do you think it's possible they could be used as pawns in the game? Well, anything is possible. Uh, and anything is possible now and anything could change between now and when the bids take place. Um, we, we just got some news today from the policy announcements out of Macau for the next little while that they're not anticipating a draft of the new casino control law to be available until the fourth quarter of next year, which when you think about how long it's been is an extraordinary delay. Uh, and I can't help but feel that a lot of that delay comes down to the need to ensure that Beijing is on side with the version that will finally come through the, the Legislative Assembly in Macau. Um, that's the, the macro picture. Obviously, from an industry point of view, you have three American companies in Macau who are doing their level best with, with some perhaps dishonorable exceptions, their level best to be on their best behavior, to not, in, to not provoke or irritate Beijing. If you think about it, there could be any number of reasons that any of those three those three companies could be could there could be fault found with them, because a, a, a government like Beijing will always have something in its dossier, right? So the question really becomes not, you know, it, it's not an issue of of a meritorious choice. It's it's whether do these companies have they delivered what they promised over the last twenty years. Will they be able to continue to deliver on their promises over the next 10 or however long the, the concessions will last this time? And if those companies can uh, uh, assure Beijing that they're going to play the game of being uh, polite and diplomatic and hardworking and treat their employees well um, and not cause controversy and deliver on these um, uh, expectations, particularly on whatever is referred to by non-gaming diversification, which is never very clear at the best of times, um, then they all have a great chance of getting back in. However, as you know very well, uh, there are people in Macau agitating for maybe one of them to get kicked out because it would perhaps free up a position for a local interest. Um, there are others who might have other, other reasons, perhaps, um, um, uh, you know, warfare-like reasons to, to knock a, a rival on the head. But I think in general, and as has been said by some of the more wiser heads out of Macau, um, there are very good reasons for the governments to retain all three US operators. And for that reason, it would appear then that they would really need to retain all three Chinese operators as well. 